Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Three reflections on Father's Day. Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you. For life goes not backward, nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children, as living arrows, are sent forth. The archer sees his mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might, and his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness, for even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he also loves the bow that is stable. These are the words of one-time South End resident and famous poet Khalil Gibran. So beautiful, so lofty, and so different from the language of my upbringing. Act One, From Here to Paternity. Why the hell not? You can be whatever you want to be. So spoke my father, Jack, a larger-than-life, plain-speaking kind of guy. I don't think he ever read a poem in his life. Jack was a son of the Great Depression. He told me stories of bitter, cold winter dawns gathering cast-off pieces of coal from the railroad yard so that there would be a little heat in the morning. As a child, I had no context to even begin to understand what this entailed. The early experience of poverty and deprivation drove Jack to become a self-made, successful man. Jack put himself through college on a football scholarship and by working summers in the paper mills. After being drafted into the Korean War, he then went on to law school on the GI Bill. Once he proved he could support a family and agreed to educate any children they might have, my mother finally agreed to marry him. They'd gone out for seven years. By then, he was 30 years old. And so my two sisters and I came into the world. Anne earned a master's degree, Peg a PhD, and me a JD. Jack held up his end of the bargain and managed to do all of this without us kids ever having to take out student loans. Yet nothing prepared Jack for the people we were to become. 
Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. Jack accepted us, loved us, and allowed us all to become people he neither understood nor initially would even have wanted to sit down and have a beer with. This, you see, was Jack's test of likability. My sister Anne got a master's degree in classical guitar. How the hell is she ever going to earn a living playing that music box? He would bellow. Yet, he accepted and held up his end of the bargain. My lesbian sister Peg got a PhD in philosophy. Not only that, but she started to publish on alcoholism and addiction. I don't think he read a thing she ever wrote, never thought of himself as an alcoholic, and never believed that Peg was either. Right through the river of denial, he waded as if he were stepping over a small puddle in the street. Jack was proud of Peg's accomplishments, even if he didn't understand them. I left the practice of law and the family law firm over profound disagreements I had with Jack and our then business partner over the management of the firm. I don't think Jack ever thought I would actually leave. And when I did and went into real estate sales, it was soul crushing. Yet he accepted my decision and did not love me the less for it. Children, they come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. Or as Jack would say, why the hell not? Be whatever you want to be. Act two, chosen family. In his 1940s essay, The Devil Finds Work, African-American author and essayist James Baldwin reflects on his relationship with his own father and with that of his white surrogate father figure. Baldwin states, fathers and sons arrive at that relationship only by claiming that relationship. That is, by paying for it. If the relationship of father to son could be reduced to biology, the whole world would blaze with the glory of fathers and sons. In Baldwin's experience, the world did not blaze with the glory of fathers and sons. Rather, Baldwin recounts, he had a torturous, horrific relationship with his father. Called ugly and strange by his father, Baldwin recollects that he only had one substantive conversation with his father in his entire life. Baldwin tells us of a relationship of choice, a father-like relationship with someone who he says formed him and raised him. Why do we create these father-son relationships with people other than our own family? How do we create better relationships both with biological and chosen families. Psychologist Eric Erickson offers us some insight in his work, The Eight Stages of Psychological Development. In stage seven, middle adulthood, the most important event is parenting. Parenting, however, has a broader meaning than just having children. It refers to the ability to guide the next generation forward. 
Erickson sees two competing forces at work in this life stage, stagnation and generativity. Elaborating on Erickson in her article in Psychology Today, psychological rehabilitation specialist Kendra Cherry explains that stagnation refers to a person's failure to find a way to contribute. These individuals can feel disconnected from family, community, and from society as a whole. They may dwell on past mistakes, feel stuck, and just throw in the towel. Those who succumb to the pessimistic force of stagnation do not make great parents, biological or chosen. Generativity, on the other hand, refers to making our mark on the world through caring for others, forging meaningful relationships with the next generation, as well as creating and accomplishing things that make the world a better place. Generativity stems from a sense of optimism about family and humanity in a larger sense. At some point in middle adulthood, we all make a choice. We either sit and obsess about what a mess we've made of things so far, or we figure out a way to make a positive impact on others' lives. When faced with this decision, according to Erickson, a person does best to put aside thoughts of death and balance its certainty with the only happiness that is lasting, to increase by whatever is ours to give the goodwill and higher order in our sector of the world. History and fiction are full of examples of positive, chosen relationships which were the result of the triumph of generativity over stagnation. A leader of the transcendentalist movement, Ralph Waldo Emerson, mentored and worked closely with poet and transcendentalist writer Henry David Thoreau. Thoreau was greatly inspired by the older man's views on the natural world, which later influenced Thoreau's master work on living in natural surroundings, Walden. The world is a better place for their relationship. Perhaps even more familiar from the world of fiction are Yoda and Luke Skywalker. Do or do not, there is no try. Yoda taught Luke to focus on the present. Yoda gave support, offered challenges that permitted Luke to learn and grow and provided vision. Yoda taught Luke how to triumph over the dark side, his very own father, Darth Vader. Think about that. And the entire universe was saved by their chosen relationship. Now, the relationships of choice that we forge may not produce a great work of literature like Walden or save the universe from the dark side. But as Erickson said, the only happiness is lasting, that is lasting, is to increase by whatever is ours to give the goodwill and higher order in our sector of the world. In other words, give of ourselves to those within our reach, 
that we may have to help better people's lives around us. The result will be a happier world. And isn't that just the point? Act three. You can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you might find you get what you need. Ooh. Yeah, great song and a true lesson. Sometimes you actually do get what you need. Two and a half years ago, without even understanding how or why, I found myself in one of these relationships of choice. A straight homeless heroin addict walks into a gay bar looking to play a patron for money. And out of this, a friendship formed? I know, crazy, right? But true. If you had asked me then, I could not have explained how or why this happened. It now seems the struggle between stagnation and generativity was subconsciously playing out in my own mind. Generativity, making our mark on the world through caring for others, forging meaningful relationships with the next generation. So five months into getting to know each other, we agreed on a sobriety pledge to better ourselves. This, of course, was my great idea that I foisted upon him. I would quit smoking and drinking, and he would stop shooting drugs and drinking. We would do this for one year. Knowing nothing about addiction and alcoholism, I supposed we would have to go to a few AA meetings, figure it all out, and make it through a year. Then I could resume a normal life of smoking and controlled drinking. And he obviously would come to the realization that shooting dope ever again was simply not an option. Life, it turns out, is not that simple. No, our relationship has not produced any great work of literature. No, we haven't saved the universe from the dark side. No, my friend has not even yet achieved one year of continuous sobriety. While there have been encouraging periods of several month-long stints of sobriety, They've been followed by devastating relapses, overdoses, multiple near-death experiences, hospitalizations, detoxes, and rehabilitation facilities. And channeling Jack, rather than Yoda, I did once say, you should be dead. And if it weren't for the great mystery of life and the tenacity of those who love you, you would be dead. Now. Many would call all of this a giant waste of time and effort, and that would be dead wrong. This chosen relationship has been life-changing for us and for others. We have each learned lessons of trust, honesty, patience, courage, acceptance, and love. We've laughed more than we've cried. We are each a better person as a result of this relationship. Not perfect, but better. I've been sober for two years. Caleb is alive and well and working on his sobriety, helping other people. Happiness has been created.
Our little world is the better for it. The next generation around us may be a little bit better for this chosen relationship. And isn't that the point? My friends, we are all on this journey together. Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts. Do or do not. There is no try. Put aside thoughts of death and balance its certainty with the only happiness that is lasting to increase by whatever is ours to give the goodwill and higher order in our sector of the world. You are the bows from which your children, as living arrows, are sent forth. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness. For even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable. Happy Father's Day. Blessed be. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.